Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode, the last of the year. It's Bat Flips and Maple Dip. I'm Patrick Marsh, filling in for Clayton Croker. He is not available. He is enjoying his holiday break with his family. Meanwhile, you've got two, uh, we call ourselves Ebenezer Scrooges, or we're just, we just happen to be available, Justin. <laughs> What are we calling ourselves? Humbug? I don't know. No, I'm I'm good. I'm just uh, a, little, a little sad that we don't have our boy Clayton here with us today too. It's I find it's getting harder to do these without Clayton, like just because he's our he's our little hype machine, and <laughs> his Twitter is great. Uh, so is ours. You can check us out at at BFMD Podcast. We are on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Thank you for taking the time to listen to another episode of us rambling about the Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> How is the weather out in Saskatoon? Did you guys get cracked with snow during the Christmas break? We actually uh, got some snow Christmas morning, so we woke up to a white Christmas. It was basically a brown Christmas up until then. We got uh, we got a, we got a few inches of snow uh, Christmas morning, so it was it was nice. Yeah, we got hammered last night with snow uh, while uh, my partner and I were out uh, returning a gift, mm. and uh, yeah, uh, neither of us was particularly happy about being stranded several kilometers away uh, from our home, but uh, you know. She toughed it out. I toughed it out. We got <laughs> after like an hour and a half. Uh, it was uh, it was interesting. But you know what? Uh, I'd rather have snow on the ground at Christmas time. Just makes it. It just adds to the accoutrement. Of yeah. So definitely. Uh, what was the MVP gift under your Christmas tree this year, Justin? Sure. What would you say is like your big, the big get? My uh, my parents got me a. A Kyle Lowry Raptors jersey, but it's the the nineteen ninety five style with like the white stripes on it. So that, that yeah. is exquisite. I would say <laughs> that would be that is a maybe a top ten gift all time. That's really. a that's a triple A uh, that's a triple A draft pick right there. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> that's that's like MLB ready. <laughs> I yeah, wouldn't go so good. far as to say opening day starter, but you know. We'll be definitely, talking about uh, definitely close. <laughs> that's pretty close. We'll be talking about our brand new opening day starter in a little bit, but I thought it'd be a good idea since this is the final episode uh, of 2019, but not the final one of the season, uh, that we would chit chat a little bit about some pop culture stuff going on since Clayton's not here and we know that he doesn't like talking about that stuff. So. <laughs> Uh, let's just, let's just do a little lightning round here, Justin. Yeah. Um, off, off Mike, you were saying that you didn't watch the Witcher yet. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but I will say that uh, as someone who is a fan of the games and a, a huge fan of the lore of the Witcher, uh, Netflix definitely did it justice. Mm. Um, I'm not going to give away any spoilers or anything like that in my review, what I would say, though, is that the small things that I, I want to nitpick about The Witcher, there are things that can easily be remedied after getting the feedback from the fans and from critics. Okay. It, it's really weird to me, though, the way that critics critics are going hard at like every piece of media now. And it's, it's almost like it's easier now to just give something a negative review and say that it's bad than it is to actually give it kudos for its ambitious nature or uh you know its actual qualities and i don't know like i think critic culture is uh is boring mm -hmm. what do you think how much do you rely on critics when you're making a decision on what shows to watch uh television zero percent movies uh, much higher than 50%. And I think that's my, that's something I need to check. That's something I need to regulate myself on. Uh, but when it comes right. to TV, I don't give a shit what, uh, 
what critics have to say, especially when it comes to something I'm interested in. But regardless mm. of the uh, mixed reviews, what do you think as far as critics go? Do you think do you think it's just a a, a rat race, or or what do you think? I think I'm I'm kind of in the opposite boat as you. You said that you don't really care about TV. I, I value a critic's opinion more about a TV show than I do about a movie, personally. Um, mm. Because a movie is usually like a standalone, one-off, two-hour thing versus a TV yeah. show that can have five or six seasons of half-hour or hour-long episodes. For me, a critic's opinion of a two-hour movie is much less valuable than the opinions of a, of a long-running TV show. So for me, like if I want to watch a movie, I'm going to go watch it. It's at, at the very least, it's two hours of the, of my life that I'll ever I'll never get back. Versus watching a six season TV show for a crappy ending might waste like six years of my life. <laughs> That's you know? absolutely true. The question becomes, <laughs> what do you value more, your time or your money? And that's ah, kind of where I'm at. As <laughs> I I get it because like on one hand, like TV is a heavy time sink. But if I'm going to spend, you know, 50 bucks going to the movies, buying a ticket for myself, buying a ticket for, you know, my spouse and then buying popcorn and all that other stuff, I'm, you know, I want it to be a worthwhile venture. I want it to be something I know is going to be right. satisfying. But then at the same time, there's some stuff I don't even, I just ignore any of the feedback and I just go right for it. And that's usually the, the stuff everybody goes for. So the Star right. Wars of the world or... Or um, Game Marvel of Thrones. Movies. Yeah, Game <laughs> of Thrones. See, the thing is, I was going to watch Game of Thrones to the end, no matter what happened, and then yeah. it being uh, really bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very disappointing. See, and that's that's why I used the example of of waiting years for a TV show to finish, and then just being glad that it's over and not sad. <laughs> yeah. So the big question that I wanted to talk to you about when it came to pop culture this week was. Uh, it is now December 28th, which means that all eight episodes of the first season of The Mandalorian have dropped. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. We're not going to talk spoilers at all. Uh, no. How do you feel about The Mandalorian? Um, I love the the visuals and the characters in the series. And they did a decent job to actually provide like some character development for for The Mandalorian himself. Not so much for the other characters. Um but like a character like uh, like Cara Dune, the old rebel shock trooper, who I'm assuming people have watched because she was in like the second or third episode, um, maybe the fourth. But she was she's a pretty cool character as well. Um, but I, I did love the ending, and uh, I believe the words I said to hopefully sorry hopefully sorry mom I'll, I'll do like the sorry Mrs. Anderson thing for Clayton, but I said no fucking way at the very end of the show. So <laughs> pretty good, pretty hype for season two, which is fall 2020, according to John Favreau on Instagram. So we might not have to wait quite as long as we did this year. Um, whether, but fall could mean anything from August until November to Americans. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you go wait and I'm, look at it. Is, but um, I'm, I'm super hype, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've got, there's a lot of good stuff coming out in 2020. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the Marvel TV show lineup is going to start dropping, which means there's going to be lots to do. I love the fact that Disney took the time to release this on a week to week mm -hmm. basis because it meant we didn't stuff it all into our faces at once. Yeah, it was like a two month uh, build up. Uh, by the way, I absolutely love The Mandalorian. I think it is the best Star Wars media that we have gotten since Return of the Jedi in 1983. I know that oh. is, I know I'm coming in hot, but <laughs> there's a lot of good stuff. I mean, I know a lot of people don't enjoy animation, but the Clone Wars and Rebels were certainly very good. Um, the prequel trilogy is what it is. I mean, uh, visually, masterfully done. Kudos to all the people mm -hmm. and the, uh, the CGI <laughs> that made those movies look as beautiful as they are and they are beautiful whether you mm -hmm. like jar jar binks or not whatever um and the sequel trilogy which just concluded um have you seen the rise of skywalker i have I yeah seen it <laughs> I've, I've only seen it once i went opening night in imax um with my friend steve who i've seen every star wars movie in recent memory with on opening day so it's kind of like right. a tradition between us 
Yeah. But we went, yeah, we went opening day right after work, so it was actually Thursday because it technically came out on Friday as is tradition. But uh, <laughs> we went on the Thursday night there, and uh, we we loved it. Like it was, I mean, visually, musically, John Williams. I mean, we can't give that guy enough shout out because it's this probably is, this is John Williams' last Star Wars movie, and maybe his last like blockbuster film that he'll work on. He's getting old. Right, and it's it's like the guy the guy's in his what late eighties or the early nineties now, um, so I mean he was he was like forty something or late thirties when the original Star Wars came out. I think he was like forty seven, so he's I think he's eighty nine years old. So it's been it's been a lifetime of Star Wars for John Williams, and I'm, I'm glad that he was able to do this last one because it really put the bow on the on the whole saga. Yeah, I mean. I don't want to. I don't want to throw a bunch of uh, a bunch of pipe bombs out there as far as Rise of Skywalker, but it did feel like it was a suitable a suitable ending mm-hmm. to this to the saga. I think. Hmm, what's the way to put it? Put it. You know what? It tied up a lot of loose ends very yeah. appropriately. Um, I loved the final scene mm-hmm. yeah there's there's really never been a perfect star wars movie but like in terms of what this one was given it did a great job to wrap up the story exactly and the thing is now where do we go from here is a very interesting question yeah um thematically i think star wars will always be the same it's a samurai western in space it's not going to change uh, there's certainly different opportunities. We definitely uh, got a little taste of that from uh, Gareth Edwards, mm-hmm. uh, Rogue One, um, which, by the way, if we're looking for a successor to John Williams, uh, Michael Giacchino did Very good job. for Rogue One, uh, which was an incredible movie. Um, maybe the best Star Wars movie since Return of the Jedi. Um, again, coming in hot. Uh, but then the Mandalorian too had Lud- Ludwig Göransson, yeah, uh, who did the music, and there is a lot of iconic uh, music from the Mandalorian that I think is going to uh, is going to stand the test of time, and I, I'm very interested to see uh, what happens in season two. And you know, I just I like I liked. The Rise of Skywalker. I'm I'm satisfied. Um, mm-hmm. There, was, they inherited a very difficult situation to begin with, but with the passing of Carrie Fisher, I don't think that's a spoiler. I, I don't think anyone be surprised that that, you know, the death of that actress had an impact on what was going to happen in the movie. Um, not that I'm implying anything. I'm just saying, like, obviously. If she's passed away, it's hard for her to be in the movie. But uh, yeah, even thematically, Star Wars has so many different possibilities. It's a big galaxy. Yeah, it's it's kind of cool to put put it to bed. Well, yeah, and I mean, speaking just one more onto onto the composers there too. I'm not sure if you've played the most recent Star Wars video game, the Jedi Fallen Order game that just came out in November. I but. I almost bought it last night, and then I okay. was like, "I'm gonna wait till it goes on sale." <laughs> I I bought it at release. I had it pre-ordered since the trailer at Star Wars Celebration, so yeah. quite a long time ago. Um, and it was scored by um, Gordy Hobb and Stephen Barton. The Gordy Hobb worked on Star Wars: The Old Republic and Star Wars Battlefront, and actually they worked together with on Titanfall um, for Respawn with the, the, the studio that made the uh, the game. So those guys both have had worked on Star Wars in the past. Well, Gordy Hobb had, and they did a great job scoring the game as well, too. Uh, there's a great featurette in the bonus features of the game that talks about how they went in to score the game and they tried to take as much inspiration as they could from John Williams to do that. So it was, it was definitely a, a nice score there, too. So Star Wars music has always been... Um, <laughs> iconic and and the game is definitely there there are moments in the game where the music without it the game would not be the same 
where does Fallen Order fall as far as the grand scheme of Star Wars games in terms of quality, but also um, I don't want to know anything about the, the timeline of events or anything like that, sure. but like, I got the sense that it was remarkably similar to the games that featured uh, Starkiller. Uh, nah, no, <laughs> I would not. not... No, I would I would consider this game a mixture of Dark Souls meets the most recent Tomb Raider trilogy, where it's a lot of puzzle and um, tough, difficult combat, which is enjoyable. Hmm. Yeah, definitely would recommend playing it. Is it linear? Like, can you explore the galaxy, or are you you're kind of locked into a, like a rail? <laughs> There's a, there's a timeline, but you have the ability to go off course should you choose to. I'll just put it that way. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, it'd be cool to play as a brand new a brand new uh, character that has never been explored anywhere else in yeah. the saga. I think that's why the Mandalorian is so successful. Is that where it's a character that's based obviously, and this is being generous, obviously. The Mandalorian is a heavy nod to Boba Fett, uh, mm-hmm. particularly his original designs. But I mean, they were obviously going for something very specific. It's working. It'll continue to work as long as they keep uh, the core team working on it. Dave Filoni obviously uh, has been doing Star Wars stuff for well over a decade uh, yeah. and was the driving force behind uh, the animated shows that we that I just mentioned. Um, and then we've got, yeah, John Favreau at the helm doing a lot of that, uh, mm-hmm. the heavy lifting, especially in the early phases of uh, the Mandalorian. So I have, I have high hopes, man. I think star Wars is in a really cool spot. Now it's under the burden of the Skywalker saga. Uh, everybody should definitely take the time to go see the movie if they're interested. Uh, and if not, you know what? We're here to talk baseball anyway. So <laughs> let's, <laughs> Let's, Let's transition get to that. over. Yeah, we've got a brand new story hot off the presses. It's been a couple days. The official introduction was yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Ladies and gentlemen, Rogers dug deep, and we went out and signed one of the top free agents of 2019. Say hello to our brand new ace starting pitcher, Juan Jin Ryu. Yes. Four years, $80 million contract. Uh, let's go with just initial reaction. How did you feel when you saw the official news? Uh, maybe not necessarily the press junket, because we knew by then, but uh, yeah. when you first heard the news, when it broke, how did you feel? Uh, I was a bit surprised that we went out and spent the money we, we did. We talked about the need to go out and get either a Ryu or a Keikel. And once the White Sox went and got Keikel, it was pretty much uh, necessary for us to go out and spend some money on Ryu as well. If the, if the Jays hope to be remotely competitive this season, like maybe even sniff a five-game back in the wildcard race kind of picture, they would need to have a guy like Hyojin Ryu and then have everything else line up to gain those other five games back. Um, this, this turns the Jays from basically a carbon copy of last year's team into a team that is probably five to 10 wins better after the signings of their most recent pitchers. So this is, uh, this is interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what's going to happen now. Yeah. I, I don't even know what to say. I was so surprised that we dropped that much money for, for a starter. But that being mm. said, it fills an immediate need and, uh, we'll talk a little bit about Ryu's strengths and weaknesses, but it, to me, it was a great feeling knowing that everybody in our pitching lineup drops down a spot in the depth chart because <laughs> it makes us look it makes it look a lot better. When it, like yeah. it was really hard to palette the idea of uh, Matt Shoemaker as our opening day starter, which is not there's no offense meant to, sh- to meant to Shoemaker. I've been pumping his tires uh, for about a month and a half now, saying how hard he has worked on rehabbing. He's ready to go. He's going to be good this year. It's just, it's going to happen. And people are going to be very excited about it. But uh, 
getting Ryu like this is a big deal. Yeah. It's a big signing. It shows that Rogers is interested in investing money in, in their product. And uh, it's going to start an interesting trend here in Toronto, especially when it comes to players who are interested in playing in a very large market, but also interested in playing uh, in, a, in a place where American media might not be as prominent. It's kind of it's kind of cool. It's cool to see an international signing like this. But let's get into the deets. So Ryu led the league last year in ERA, uh, and by league I mean Major League Baseball. Uh, his mm-hmm. ERA two point three two. He had one hundred eighty two point two innings pitched. Uh, so it's his first full season of pitching since I believe twenty fifteen, because he was injured in twenty sixteen in 2017 and then part of 2018 um more on that a little bit later uh he held opponents to a 230 batting average his whip was 1.01 so he doesn't give up a lot of walks fip was 3.1 home run per nine 0.84 bb per nine 1.18 um f war of 4.8 last year justin just based on those numbers um how do you feel about ryu being an ace and what do you see out of all these numbers as like the strength? Sure. Well, you can see why he finished second in national league Cy Young voting. Um, pretty clear that he is an effective and dangerous pitcher against batters. I mean, a 1.01 whip, you don't see that too much anymore. And anything, anybody who walks less than one and a quarter batters per nine innings is, is crazy elite. Uh, I, I like that he's not a flamethrower. That shows me that he should have more endurance. I mean, he is a he's a big guy. He's a he's a large lad, uh, yeah. <laughs> an, an absolute unit, you would say. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But but he is a big guy, and he's very 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 deceptive. A lot of movement on his pitches, changes speeds. Even on his like fastball, he'll change speeds. He'll throw it at 91 the next one will come in at 87 or 88 so he's good at changing speeds on his pitches too just to throw guys off and and i was looking at a lot of his um, overlays he's got a very consistent release point which is what you look for in a top the rotation starter having that consistency and throwing all of your pitches starting on the same plane is very very tough for opposing batters to pick up on yeah, I, I would say those are definitely uh, some of Ryu's strengths. I, w- mm. I did a little bit of a pitch breakdown because I, I imagine that a lot of Jays fans might not be familiar with Ryu and what his arsenal is or what makes him so good or what right. made him so good last year. So um, Ryu ha- is a four-pitch pitcher. He does have a fifth pitch that he doesn't really use, uh, probably because it's not particularly effective or it just doesn't have the velocity on it to be worth it to throw uh he's got a 90 91 mile an hour fastball somewhere in there it's about 40 percent of his pitches makes sense usually uh, a pitcher who has such great location as ryu is going to start you know trying to ping the corners with the fastball first pitch he's got a great change up about 80 miles an hour he throws more than 25% of the time, which is great. Uh, And it makes sense considering the fact that that is what his specialty is. Uh, He does have a cutter. He throws about 20% of the time. Uh, The cutter is a few miles per hour slower than the fastball, but um, that's what most cutters do anyway. Uh, He's got a curveball that comes in around 72.7 miles per hour. Uh, He only throws that about 12% of the time. Um, Interesting. Uh, set of tools that he has. You know mm. what he he reminds me a little bit, in a way, of Marco Estrada, and that yeah. he's got the two, obviously two plus pitches. Uh, he's got a good fastball. Uh, I know it's not the fastest, but the thing is, he can put it wherever he wants to put it. He has incredible yeah. control. That's his strength. Yeah. And when you have the ability to control your fastball and your changeup, and they have a similar delivery, you're going to confuse a lot of batters. And, you know, when he has off nights, and he does have them, he's not invincible. Um, you know, he can still log enough innings to kind of keep 
keep the team in it a little bit. Um, I'm kind of interested to see whether or not he drops the curveball or if he keeps it because it's not a great curveball, but maybe it's good to have a fourth pitch in your arsenal. Um, do we have anything that we want to say about pitchers uh, as far as like being how important is it? Do you think Justin be a four pitch pitcher or five pitch pitcher or three pitch pitcher? What do you, does it make a difference? Depends what those pitches are. I mean, if you look at his fastball changeup cutter, those are all like horizontal pitches. The curveball is a vertical pitch. It goes down. It drops. Yeah. You need that to change the eye level of a hitter. Um, we're also looking for a pitch that's either going to go straight or move to the side, not going straight down. I think that curveball is going to be a very important pitch. And that's why he throws it about 12% of the time, right? Like one in every, what is it, like eight pitches-ish is a curveball. So Yeah, one in eight, one in nine, something like that. So, I mean, if you think of a batter probably seeing four to six pitches in that bat on average, he'll throw a curveball to every second batter throughout the game. And I think that's important. Yeah, that's a good point that I didn't even think of, and I'm glad you brought it up, the idea of messing with the eye levels, because that's that's one of Ryu's strengths. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, he Obviously, we, we've already you know stated that he has immaculate control. Uh, he can put the ball wherever he wants to, and this is why he doesn't generate a lot of strikeouts or ground balls, because he can just put the ball where he needs to put it in order mm. to generate the weakest of contact. Yep. So... Um, what other strengths does he have, Justin? Obviously, we talked about the the low walks already, but also the the fact that when he gets runners on base, they they do not score. Uh, having a two thirty two ERA is pretty pretty indicative that he doesn't give up a lot of runs, right? So, getting when there's runners on base, he is finding ways to get out of trouble. Obviously, the the ground ball percentage rate at fifty percent is huge. Um, and the control will contribute, contribute to that. So I think that the big thing we're going to see with this guy is it'll be a, a nice change from recent memory of Blue Jays starting pitchers where he will not be walking four batters per nine innings. He will not be giving up four home runs per nine innings like it seems some <laughs> of these guys do. Uh, it's going to be, a, it's gonna be a, a, an ode to a guy, guys, control pitchers, the Mark Burleys of the world, who didn't throw the hardest, but they didn't give up a ton of hard contact either. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do for us. He really does remind me a lot, at least on paper, of Marco Estrada and what Estrada mm-hmm. brought to the team. The fact that he was a solid... Estrada was never really our ace, though. I mean, I guess in before he saw the rapid decline in his changeup, we could have considered him a number two or, yeah. or I don't know, 1B or whatever you want to say. Um, but it's nice to have that kind of pitcher who can mix things up. Um, weaknesses, because again, Ryu is not invincible. Uh, and it, we definitely saw a lot of that in 2016 and 2017. He's had a bunch of seasons wiped out by injuries. Uh, last yeah. year was his comeback year. Um, between 2018 and 2019, he's only seen minor trips to the IL. Mostly stuff that kept him out of action for a couple weeks at most. Uh, but he, again, he still logged 180 innings this uh, season, which is more than enough, especially on a Dodgers team that was stacked and pretty much coasted into the playoffs <laughs> after August. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a question that I have for you, and that is, how high should the expectations for him be here in Toronto? Are we expecting him to produce four seasons identical to 2019? Or where do you think he settles in as far as what he's capable of? And will he be our ace all four years? Um, I'll answer the last question first by saying no. Um, we'll have somebody come up from the minor leagues, whether it be a Nate Pearson, an Alec Manoa, Adam Klaffenstein, maybe even a Simeon Woods-Richardson in four years, that might be our best pitcher in the big leagues by the time Rio's contract is up, if he spends the, the whole four years of that contract in Toronto. Uh, <laughs> sorry for another time. But well, uh, in terms of expectations, you, you mentioned his numbers. He put up a 4.8 F war in 2019, which is very high for a pitcher. 
Um, if he can produce an average of three F war per season over the course of his four years, I think we'll see him go down uh, with a fond memory in Blue Jays fans and in franchise history. I do think that this next, these first two seasons of the contract, he will probably be between a four and a five F war because he's coming off a great year. I think that'll continue to 2020. But I think towards the end of the contract, he's going to get a little older. He might start to drop off a bit, but I think he'll average at least three war on on his contract per year. Which I think is probably worth it. You pay about $6 million per win above replacement when it comes to starters anyway. I mean, that's what we paid for Tanner Rourke. Oh, 6 to $10 million per war, it seems, these days. Yeah, it's starting to get... It's starting to escalate quite a bit. It's mm-hmm. it was odd to me uh, hearing that the only final offer that he received was four years, and that the Jays came came in hot, and they were the only team to offer him four years. And from that point on, um, it was just a matter of kind of haggling over the the numbers. Um, what did you see in the press conference that you thought was interesting or? maybe concerning or maybe exciting oh man um <laughs> i don't know how to answer that uh what, what's your opinion on that one first before before i take my my side <laughs> well first of all i love the fact that ryu is excited to come to canada i think it says a lot about how he feels about canada that he brought his family on christmas day to canada Knowing that his wife is about to have a baby and the baby is going to be born in Canada, which means the baby is going to be Canadian and that Mm. all the way up until age 18, the baby will be Canadian because Korea doesn't recognize dual citizenship after the age of 18. So it's somebody on Twitter brought that up and I thought that's that says a lot. It's very a very positive reflection of Ryu and that that's what he wants uh, for his family. And. I just thought that was a cool thing. Um, as usual, Scott Boris, used car salesman extraordinaire. Um, I know we've, I don't know, we've said good and bad things about Scott Boris, but he's definitely drinking the Kool-Aid when it comes to this Jays team now. Uh, last year, I think he said we had the blue flu because we blue didn't flu. spend money. And now, now all of a sudden, you know, we're opening up the coffers. We... I mean, Rogers is opening up the coffers, and we're actually paying players. It just—it gives me a lot of hope for the future. What do you? Mm-hmm. What did you think? Yeah, I, I love this press press conference. How he he said uh, bonjour. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it seems like he, he seems like a pretty happy dude. Like a smile on his face. Seems like he's probably going to be uh, a good clubhouse guy. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how he he gels with the players on our team. Because really, until today, I think he's our only uh, was our only Asian player. We just officially signed uh, Shun Yamaguchi like an hour ago to a two year contract out of Japan. So he's yeah. going to have a fellow a fellow Asian pitcher on the team. I'm very excited about him too. But we'll talk about him another time, perhaps. But I'm looking forward to seeing just how Ryu kind of embraces the the team. I think Toronto is a great fit for him, just based on how multicultural the city is. Like it truly is the like the melting pot of the world. Um, and I heard, I saw on Twitter that he had visited uh, the most renowned uh, Korean restaurant in Toronto last night. I can't remember what the mix of, or what the name of it is now, but people were already saying, "Oh, this guy's an absolute legend. He's already going out to the best spots on his first day here." So, uh, looking forward to seeing just how he kind of fits into the community. Man, he's going to be. I think he's going to be a very, very popular player in Canada, and it, it's. It's going to be a mix of all these perfect things that just fit with Canadiana, which is multiculturalism, um, being very warm to welcome international uh, sports stars. Mm -hmm. Uh, You look at the very warm reception that Kawhi Leonard received when he came and won, you know, won a ring with the Raps. I just think I think Ryu is going to is he's going to be something special. And it's not just going to be what he does uh, out on the diamond, which is cool. So uh, I have high hopes for him. I don't think he'll be the ace either for the entire time. 
But I do think we'll get four very serviceable years from him at the absolute worst. I think his floor is probably 2.5 to 3 war. And I think he'll eat up a ton of innings and, you know, knock on wood, there won't be any serious injuries uh, for the balance of his career. So uh, welcome, Mm -hmm. uh, Hunjin Ryu. Um, before we before we head out on the final episode of 2019, let's take a quick little look here at the 2020 Jays rotation. Now, this isn't going to be our actual preview for, for 2020. This is more of a pre-preview just because, you know, we've had so many signings and there's been quite a bit of turnover uh, even in the last month and a half to two months that it's probably worth exploring where we're at as far as the team goes with our rotation. So we'll start at the very top. We've got our opening day starter, our unquestioned ace uh, in Ryu. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting that we talked a little bit about his pitch arsenal and how his arsenal doesn't make me think of a number one. And because he's a lefty, he may, it makes me think that he's an, a number two, but mm-hmm. he's absolutely our ace. So what do you think? I, I mean, obviously, he's he's our ace for the next year, maybe next two years until our boy Nate Pearson is ready to assume that role. Yeah. Um, to quote the 2019 Toronto Blue Jays, there is nobody else. So <laughs> <laughs> that was the model of the 2019 season. Um, <laughs> so I, I think uh, I, I think Ryu is, un- yeah, like you said, he's unquestioned, the unquestioned ace, an opening day starter for 2020. But then behind him, I think it gets really interesting. I don't think besides Tanner Roark that there's there's no guarantees. And maybe Matt Shoemaker too, assuming he's fully healthy for spring training. But I don't really think this, there's at least two spots in the rotation that are up for grabs. I'll put it that way. And, and I think there's probably six or seven guys who are going to duel for that two spots in the rotation. Yeah, I... In putting this list together, I started to get the feeling that I was really forcing a particular vision for the rotation. And I'm going to read it anyway. Yeah. Um, I I penciled in Matt Shoemaker as the number two guy just because I have extremely high hopes for his recovery. Like I said, he, we know for a fact that he's been working his butt off to get ready for 2020. And the hopes is that he will be ready for 2020 right off the bat. Even if he's not, and he's in arrival in mid to late April, it's not like he's hasn't been working out or getting ready. Um, the the man has been fighting hard to get himself ready for this season. He was devastated, like many of us were when when he went down, because we had high hopes for him. Uh, he's got a lot to prove, and this will be a cool year where he's gonna have to leave it all on the diamond as far as what he's got yeah. tank. And um, when pitchers are in that sort of mode, we've seen it with guys like Jacob deGrom or even like early uh, Kershaw when they're hungry and they need to prove it for the next big contract or whatever. We get you get the best of them. So I I think this is going to be like a a comeback story that people are going to be interested in in following in MLB. I think you said comeback player of the year. That was your spicy take? That was my spicy take, yeah. I agree with you. I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, I penciled in Ryan Barucki at number three, and the reason why is because we're starting with a, a lefty, so we got to go left, right, left, right uh, in the rotation to start at least. Um, Barucki really needs to step up in order to earn a spot at all in this rotation, but because he is the other lefty that we can rely on, to eat innings and be effective. Um, I I think Ryan Barucki is a solid three. And, you know, we've compared him many times to Mark Burley, and I think that's probably, you know, as apt as it gets for him. Uh, is he expected to be ready? Yeah. Yeah, he is. Okay. Good, 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 good. I know he's already started long toss, and he's doing some other stuff. There's videos on Twitter. Uh, his brother is pretty active on Twitter, so yeah, great follow by the way. It is a great follow. Uh, what is his name is Matt Barucki, I Matt think. Matt Barucki, yeah. yeah. 
He's a great father. Great. Gives <laughs> us a little bit of an insight into uh, what it's like to be a family member of an MLB uh, superstar. Mm-hmm. Um, and then number four, I put Tanner Roar, uh, the inning-eating monster that we've got in our uh, our rotation. We haven't had a guy like that since uh, the peak years of R.A. Dickey when he was chucking 200 innings for us alongside Mark Burley, who mm-hmm. also pitched at least 198.2 <laughs> innings pitched <laughs> a year with us. Um, what, do you, what do you think of Rourke? Um, you have it all here in the sheet, an innings-eating monster who will give you five or six solid innings every time he goes out. He'll give you two turns to the rotation, maybe three at the very least. Yeah. And I think he's just going to be that kind of guy who maybe he's going to give up three or four runs a start on average, like a three-and-a-half ERA, four ERA, but whatever it may be. Um, he's going to be that guy who you, you kind of know what you're expecting every time he hits the mound. Nothing. He's not going to pitch complete game shutouts, but he's going to give you a solid innings. Yeah, I mean, he went ten and ten last year, uh, splitting his time between Cincinnati and Oakland. Uh, he pitched better when he was in Cincinnati. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty negligible. He brought his whip down quite a bit. I, I, if he went ten and ten next year with a four point three five ERA, if he replicated his stats next year, I'd be, I'd be like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I'll take ten and ten. I think uh, you're. I think you're sleeping on, on on a couple guys here though too. I think you're. I think Anthony K is going to make a push. Chase Anderson might be there at number five now. I think Chase Anderson might end up being maybe a long man, maybe a fifth starter. I don't know. I think. I think if anybody in in this first five guys we've mentioned with Ryu, Shu, Baraki, Roark, and Anderson misses the rotation, it might be Baraki. I think Anthony K might have a great spring training and take that lefty spot away from Ryan Barucki. Well, this is the interesting thing is that we've got so many players between the ages of 24 and 26 who are going to be fighting for a spot. Mm-hmm. I don't see the point of trading for Chase Anderson if we're not going to use him. He's had a sneaky good MLB career so far. He's already compiled 50 wins, which I know doesn't mean anything to the average uh stat head like us but <laughs> his career era is 3.94 so it's mm-hmm. tucked in neatly under four um his fip has been a little inconsistent uh his whip was down to 1.266 last year yeah that's a good that's a good number it's where you want to see it he's going to be pitching in a lot of hitters parks um i don't know with a guy like chase anderson He's never really been a long reliever. He's only ever started. He he had five appearances last year, uh, where with Milwaukee, where he didn't uh, start. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't see why you bring him in and not start him. But I also see your point in that we have a lot of really hungry young guys who are going to be fighting hard to get into that rotation, and it's kind of weird to look at if you look at this rotation. Ryu, 32 years old. Shoemaker, 33 years old. Rourke, 33 years old. Anderson, 32 years old. Yeah. Wow. They're not they're not wasting time. They're not no. wasting it any time at all. Taking advantage of the youth uh, and the inexpensive contracts of the Bigios, the Bichettes, the Guerreros, and the Guriels of the world. Mm-hmm. And it widens the window a little bit for the Jays to compete. Because all these guys in their 30s are serviceable MLB pitchers and it's going to give all these young guys a chance to fight for a rotation spot but also figure out some of their you know weak points so right do you want to run down the list here of the young guys uh not including Baraki and where you see them fitting in well I before we do that I do want to throw one more name into the ring here too I, I mentioned we just officially signed Shun Yamaguchi um, he's going to be 32 at some point in 2020 here. His birthday is in July. Oh, he already is 32. He'll be 33, sorry. Um, and he is coming off a, a season where he threw 181 innings as a starter in the in the Nippon League in Japan. Um, so he'll be another guy to watch out for as a, a starter uh, competitor as well. I mean, he's coming off a season with, with a great ERA, uh, a whip of below 1.2, so 
strikes up nearly 10 batters per nine innings, walks less than three and a half, doesn't give up home runs. So he is going to fight for that rotation spot too. I mean, I'm not sure how his Nippon numbers will transition to the majors. Obviously, it's a different baseball and a different game. But it'll be interesting to see how he comes into spring training too and performs. So there's 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 a lot of guys in that 30 range. We could have a rotation full of 32 and 33 year old pitchers. Yeah, it could be interesting. And the, here's the thing, though. Um, there's a name that I'm kind of I left out of my projected rotation that I'm really struggling with trying to figure out what to do with, and it's Trent Thornton. Uh, mm-hmm. He in a year where he was put in an impossible situation replacing Matt Shoemaker, uh, he and he had some wildly inconsistent pitching, he still managed to pitch 150 innings for us, and I think he led the team in innings pitched. Uh, and as a rookie, he wasn't really that bad. No. He's, so, uh, he's, number, he's a number four, number five starter at, at best, I think, in his career. Though, yeah, is it the glasses <laughs> that throw that throws me off? Is it I see him with the glasses and I think, oh, he can't do it. <laughs> no, <laughs> I just think it's the fact that he's. Um, how do I put this nicely? Not that great. It's not terrible, but he's not that great. He's a complete middle of the road pitcher. Yeah, the thing is, you need guys like that to fill, have oh, yeah. to do oh, spot for sure. starts. And I feel like if we could lock in anybody today as the number six guy or the guy who will be doing spot starts uh, where guys need rest, it's Trent Thornton. I still think he gets his 150 innings. Uh, it's just a matter of whether or not he's our long relief guy, our spot starter, or what have you, because someone's going to get injured. That's just that's the way of baseball. Nobody's going to pitch the entire year we're not going to get 33 starts from all five of these above mentioned dudes mm-hmm. it's not going to happen so probably not no and i think trent thornton is a good serviceable option as a spot starter i i think the sam gaviglio thomas panone uh formerly joe biagini poo platter that we were throwing out there every fifth day i think those days are long gone and uh, certainly when it comes to the dog days, um, between August 17th and September 17th last year, the Jays won eight games out of 30. So I don't think we see a stretch like that uh, in 2020 at all. So, yeah, probably not. Yeah. What do, all right. So let's let's just uh, bounce these off here before we end the episode. Anthony Kay, it's a proven year for him. He's a highly touted prospect. Um, what would you say is his floor? and what do you hope is his ceiling? Floor number five, ceiling number two. Really? For 2020? Yes. Boy. Um, <laughs> what what kind of gives you the impression that he's capable of being a number two? Um, his, his numbers. I, I like his strikeout numbers. I like the fact that he hasn't given up a ton of home runs in his career. And I just feel like he's going to be a guy who will develop more in the big leagues than he ever could in, in the minor league system. He needs to face top-level competition in order to develop. He made very few starts for us last year. Uh, what is it, two or three, maybe? And I, I liked what I saw from him. Uh, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to pound the strike zone as a major league pitcher. And I'm looking forward to to seeing what he can do. I think he's going to be a guy who um, will surprise a lot of people. It might take him a year. I mean, maybe this year he he starts in AAA, most likely, based on the, number, the guys we've just went over. But I do believe that he is at the top of the list for call-ups if somebody does go down. Agreed. He's definitely top three, for yeah. sure. And probably This is a, this is a big year three. for him. Yeah, it's a big year for him. Uh, he certainly is uh, likely to be penciled in as the ace of the AAA team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, he may end up riding the bus a lot in 2020, <laughs> up and down with <laughs> Toronto and Buffalo. Would you be happy if Anthony K pitched 50 innings for the Jays this year? Y- yeah, I think I think I would be. I think that's probably a good 
estimator of what he will get, assuming that he only comes up really as uh, maybe a couple times a year for after a long extra inning game, or maybe if there's injuries or September call-ups. I think 50 innings is a pretty good number. Yeah, there are two other guys worth talking about uh, that are 24 years old uh, going in, or are currently 24 years old going into 2020. And that's TJ Zoic and Sean Reed Foley. TJ yeah. Zoic threw a no hitter last year, recently saw a nosedive in our projected prospects. Zoic is currently our number 30 prospect, which, if you know bat flips and maple dips at all, uh, we talk about our top 30 prospects all the time. Zoic bottoming out at number 30, is that more indicative of the quality of our our depth at prospects? Or did something happen that I'm just not aware of that made him bottom out? What's going on? I, I don't think this should be taken as much as a surprise. Zoic is just a ground ball machine. He's he's kind of he kind of reminds me of uh, of a Tanner Roark or a Chase Anderson, where it's like that this guy is 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 at best a number five major league starter and a guy who is going to be like a 10 or a work and maybe go 10 and 10 in a year. If you're and that, and you'd be happy to take 10 wins from him as long as he keeps the ball on the ground. Um, I would like to see Zoic employ, I guess deployed behind the old opener strategy. I think if you throw a fireballer out for the first inning or two and get through the, the meat of the order and then put Zoic out to face the, the bottom and the second time through, I think that'd be an effective strategy for him moving forward as a big league pitcher. Speaking of guys who throw just gas, Sean, <laughs> Sean Reed Foley, this is a big, big year for him. He had an, uh, a terrible mm. 2019, no matter where he went. Is Sean Reed Foley quickly dropping off the radar or is this just a matter of like oh he had one one bad season and we should just sort of hold the line on him has anthony k already uh, flown by him has he already been surpassed by simeon wood richardson um anthony k yes simeon wood richardson is just too far behind him in terms of the minor league system at this point only being an a ball yeah i think sean reed fully can put a lot of doubters to to rest with a good spring um he had a great 2017 or good 2018 sorry uh, a great 2018 for sean reed fully but he really like you said yeah he really just kind of it seemed like he hit a wall in 20 and 2019 i'm not sure maybe what was going on with him um but i do think i still believe sean reed fully has potential to be probably a number three number four guy uh, just based on his profile, but he's a big guy, and, and we like we like big starting pitchers. Um, but I'm looking at him as a guy who could really just come in and have a great spring, and maybe grab a rotation spot, or maybe even hop up the depth chart a couple of spots too. Yeah, I think his 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 floor for this year is going to be uh, an inning eating just monster in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he's he's going to pitch at least a hundred innings uh, alone in AAA, if not more. And then if he ended up getting another thirty to fifty innings uh, with the Jays, depending on how they're competing, because if they're competing, let's preface this by saying a lot of these young guys, if we're competing and they're not, and they're not the reason why we're competing, they're not going to see a lick of of action. Uh, and it, it's it's going to be no. one of those things where we protect them by keeping them down in the minors. Uh, but and... that being said, if we are going to compete, an opener like Sean Reed Foley would be part of the reason why we would. And I'd love to see him deployed as an opener um, anywhere between one to two days a week, particularly in the dog days of su- of summer. Like even at if it was every six days or every six games, because it kind of breaks things up. Look at our pitchers; they're all in their mid thirties. Yes, they're all. This is like the prime of their careers and things like that. But you know, if you're going up against Luis Severino <laughs> on a on a Sunday, maybe you throw out Sean Reed Foley against him just to kind of, you know, you know you you might not in, you might not get the win off of him. 
I don't know. I don't know. What do you think of that strategy? Honestly, I, I see Shard fully more deployed in the uh, original Aaron Sanchez role as that late inning relief, seventh or eighth inning guy, if the Jays are competing. Cause he's just because he's got that explosive stuff, a great curveball, great fastball, uh, that I think he could be a really effective one inning reliever down the stretch, maybe even into a possible playoff scenario if it does ever happen again. Um, <laughs> so I, I can see I can see Charmin fully used in, in more of a late innings than in, as, a, than as an opener. Yeah, it's it's interesting because at the same time that that role is currently occupied by Sam Gaviglio, who was pretty serviceable for us. He's a one war long reliever right now. His time as a starter is is done. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, certainly the same could be said about Thomas Pannone, although Pannone is four years younger. And we'll talk about him in just a minute. But Sammy G, do you think Sammy G is even going to be on the Jays come 2020? He'll be or, in AAA. Does he go down, though? I mean, that our bullpen is a hot mess right now, and it's hard to project any anything. But can we put the final nail in the coffin for Sammy G as far as being a starter in Toronto? Yes. That's pretty definitive, I think. Last guy we'll talk about before we talk about Nate Pearson. Uh, Thomas Pannone. Terrible 2019 for Thomas Pannone. The hype train was effectively derailed and destroyed. Uh, it was like watching... Uh, what was the movie with Jake Gyllenhaal where the train kept wrecking over and over again? Source Code? Uh... I think that's the name of it, yeah. Source code, yeah. It was like watching Source Code. Every time he did something good, it was followed up by like back-to-back-to-back home runs or whatever. Just a <laughs> nightmare season. Um, I doubt he's trusted again with the ball as a starter, especially with so many other guys that we just talked about ahead of him. Is Thomas Pono even on this team in 2020? Is he even going to be in Buffalo? What happens? Buffalo. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if he if he ends up getting super hot in Buffalo, maybe there's a chance that he does get a, a late call-up. Or if there's like a bad injury. Uh, and, you know, just by lack of there being no one else, maybe he does kind of see that little lift up in the depth chart and manages to see all these other guys get injured and then he finds himself the ball again every fifth day who knows do you have now that now that we've sort of done a bit of a pre-preview here how do you feel about 2020 rotation compared to 2019 do you think do you think this is a, a a rotation take the best parts of all of these do you think this is a rotation justin that could be 500 or better yes 500 is probably a, a fair estimator for these guys. Okay. I think if we don't finish at 500 this season, it, it could be deemed a failure with the with the roster we have going in. What? Okay. Um, <laughs> what do we do in that instance then? We play the season out. We're not, the Yankees are going to win 110 games. The Red Sox are going to win 95 games. The Rays are probably going to win 90 games again. The Jays are going to be happy to finish fourth place in the AL East this year and build for 2021, which is when they will look to compete again. All right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that being said, uh, I do see this as being a team that can put together between 75 and 83 wins. I would say the, the ceiling, I mean, it, theoretically, it's possible any team could go out and win 100 games but realistically i would say this team if this team finished with 78 and 84 i would i would be disappointed because obviously i want to get back to the playoffs but i would see that as a dramatic improvement from last year and i would be even more excited for 2021 but also seeing all the hype videos of Vladdy, all the lost weight looking toned he's still the thick boy but he's not he's not yeah. at prince fielder levels of thick <laughs> um i i'm gonna call it now jays go 81 and 81 
There you go. There you go. <laughs> Final <laughs> thoughts? No, I think uh, think you just wrapped it up for us there. All right. Well, that's all there is for today. BFMD done for 2019. We'll be back next week. <laughs> I'll say maybe uh, for a season finale. That'll be an interesting episode. Hopefully we'll have Clayton back in our rotation, taking up that number one ace position. For Justin Anderson in beautiful Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Good Sasky boy. <laughs> I'm Patrick Marsh hanging out in Halifax, Nova Scotia. This is BFMD signing off for 2019. Happy New Year. 